Two, one, and we're live. Welcome to another week of the Questioning Commission. My name is Chase, and I'm joined by. And we have a very special guest this evening, uh, a friend of ours, uh, Mr. Shavan van Roy. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good, man. No complaints. It's a nice and wet day, a bit cold, but I'm enjoying the sound of the rain falling on the tin roof. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, this week's a little bit different. Uh, we're tackling uh, new subjects. Um, and the cool thing about having a guest on is we're able to get uh, an expert, if you'd like, for, um, and to discuss his research and projects that he's busy with. But before we get into all of that, uh, we, obviously, we are uh, to discuss the fuckery of the week. And um, obviously, there's been a couple of flashpoints this week. It's been a very interesting week in South Africa. Um, so I think we should tackle into that. And once we're done with the flashpoints of the week, then we can get into uh, Siobhan and his work and so forth. Obviously, Siobhan, your feedback on whatever we talk about would be highly appreciated. Um, yeah, so feel free to speak your mind, man. What, whatever bothers you, whatever you want to vent, rant, whatever you want. This is uncensored, unfiltered. We're just yeah, friends on a Sunday evening to talk about what's going on in life, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that there are still some places in South Africa where freedom of speech is respected. So thank you very much for um, that open in invitation. Uh, yeah, you know, I think this will be the last uh, stand, you know. Until the snowflakes kill us, we, we will be here uh, every Sunday. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Quinzo, you've been quiet, man. What's been bothering you this week? For me, it, it's not much a bother, but then it's something interesting. It's Donald Trump. He's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for 2021. And this comes after he helped broker the peace deal between Israel and the UAE. United Arab Emirates. I don't know how to feel about this, man. I like Trump, but then I don't think he deserves the Nobel Prize, you know? I I don't know. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm on the fence on this one. What do you think? Trump, Nobel Prize, peace especially. But then, but then just before I let you say something, if you look at this, it's Israel and the UAE, right? And there's also taking yeah. on China, and there's the Uyghur problem of, you know, the concentration camps, forced labor, the people in Mongolia and all that. So I think there's quite a case to be made here for Trump winning the Nobel Prize. What do you think? Uh, I think that it's a contentious decision. I think that it's actually a poor decision on the behalf of the Nobel Peace Prize Committee. I mean, you kind of belittle it. Um, yeah. Trump said at the beginning of his campaign, when he initially got elected, why did Obama get a Peace Prize? He said he's always wanted that. And it's almost <laughs> like he's like, who do I have to pay to get it? And it yeah. kind of belittles the whole meaning behind the situation. Because a Nobel Peace Prize, you have to be excellent in your whatever respective thing you do. I mean, you've got yeah. Trump, you've got um, the Curries that got um, developed the polar vaccine, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it's experts in each field, and that's who gets a Peace Prize. So, I mean, Trump. If they gave him peace prize for RNJ, let's give it to him. But I mean, for peace, for somebody that's spitting a violent uh, 
imagery every day and hate speech and just antagonizing people. I don't think that it's the right award. I, I, yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Siobhan, hop in on this one. I mean, I see you giggling there. Tell us, what, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, I don't have any, um, you know, elaborated thoughts on, on, on the matter. But um, my thing is, yes, many people don't like, like Trump because of, because of the things he says and the things he is, the person he is on Twitter and whatnot, right? The different personas that, he, that, that, that comes to life on, on social media. But looking at the tensions that have existed between um, Israel and um, the United Emirates, right? It has been expanding over very, very periods of time. And not many um, leaders, in my opinion, and with a, perhaps very little knowledge that I have, have been able to um, actually broker such deals as the one that Donald Trump has now brokered. And I think that um, in saying that, this is a step um, towards further success in this field. And I think it has laid a good foundation for future relationships between um, Israel and other um, um, Arab states. So I think this is a major thing because in, in looking at it in isolation, apart from who Donald Trump is as a person and as a Twitter persona and whatever the case may be, I think if you look at the merits of, of, of these deals that, that have been taking place, I think they are quite historic and they carry some substance. So I would give it to Donald Trump um, on, on that ground. Maybe not for his personality, but on, on grounds of, of, of some historical or um, groundbreaking um, um, what 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 would I call it? Um, contribution. I would I would say mm. give it to him. Why not? I fully agree, Shavon. Fully agree. That's my point as well. Because especially if you look at the problem of of China, and how it treats the minorities in the country, and the fact that it's actually standing up on the wall stage and saying that something needs to be done against China to stop them from you know putting these people in camps, making them endure forced labor, and all those things. So there's quite a case to be made. Forget the man. And look at the actions. There's a good case here to be made in, in favor of Donald Trump, especially for me because I like the guy. So I think he deserves a prize. <laughs> no, no, that that kind of makes sense. I didn't think of it in isolation as his deeds and then the person. So I, I agree with mm-hmm. you, Siobhan, in that in that light. Um, so maybe let's give him his dues. You know, um, yeah. In that regard, let's. Uh, it's quite groundbreaking. Um, yeah. I think in that alone, if it talks to him as a whole, then I would say no. <laughs> but I mean, if we're talking specifically <laughs> about deals, then yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's a fair, fair assessment. Something yeah. that I saw closer to home, um, if you don't mind me switching, was an yeah. article in IOL News this, this week. Um, yeah. It's by Kayleen Pillay um, on yeah. IOL. It speaks to overseas trained doctors blocked from practicing in SA. The the latest regulations by the Health Professions Council of SA, HPCSA, could leave many internationally trained South African doctors unable to practice medicine in the country. According to the uh, the HPCSA's latest policy guidelines published in July, South African citizens who hold foreign qualifications must apply to South African University for one year in which they would complete a 12-month internship at local hospitals. Only Mm -hmm. then would they be accepted to complete the practical portion of the SA Medical Board exam 
which if passed could allow them to practice in the country. In addition to the policy guidelines, at least 55 qualified doctors were told that they could not proceed at all with registering for the one-year internship and, and board exams as the HPCSA no longer recognized the institutions as, at which they studied. This has left a number of doctors at their wit's end at the year, years of studies are no longer recognized by South Africa and therefore they are not considered doctors in the country. I, I I find this quite crazy because, firstly, we we importing doctors from Cuba, right? So have mm. those doctors passed our year internship and board exams? That I find that quite difficult because we've already we we lose it. This influx of doctors that we're losing each year, they just go right because obviously yeah. higher pay abroad. However. We, we have students that want to come back. There's South Africans that want to come back and practice their profession, right? We already complain about the shortage of doctors, right? And I'm not saying let's get everybody to willy-nilly come here with their fake degrees and whatnot. But if they pass the board exam, right? And maybe let's do a month of probation before that. But I mean, to do a year's internship and then still... I mean, are, we pay, are they getting paid for the year's internship? We we had a crux, especially during COVID now. Everybody needs doctors. And we have doctors wanting to come in. I mean, we have 55 doctors at the moment that, uh, that aren't able to practice, even though they're, they're all qualified and they did their five, six years, however. It's not a willy-nilly mm-hmm. profession where you can, every Tom, Dick, and Harry can just join. I mean, these people have committed five, six years. I mean, even after I just completed my bachelor's, I was like, wow, I... Like, I did a lot of studying. Okay, fine. Then I did another year. Got the honors done, right? I mean, it's a lot mm-hmm. of years to just say, hey, no, you have to do more. And just jump through the bars, especially for a profession that people are dying every day. You know, you want people, the most qualified people. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on the matter? Look, here's what I think, man. I, Because I, the, the thing is, for me... I'm not hearing, hearing about this for the first time because this came up initially when those Cuban doctors were supposed to come in because there were mm. trained doctors there on who said, we can help out, just let us go through the exam and whatnot and just start working. But then the government again said it's not recognized and, and what have you. And they didn't get to work and we got the Cuban doctors and we gave them PPE and money and free hotel stays and a whole lot of problems in between as well. So at this rate... I feel like we're moving backwards because we don't have enough capacity to produce enough doctors each year. We have what Stellenbosch, Vitz, UP, UKZN, UCT, and I'm probably for SA School of Medicine if there's such, I'm not sure. But we probably have less than 10 varsities that offer medicine degrees in the country. So there's not mm-hmm. enough space to produce enough doctors. So we have to export some students to your Asia, your South America, North America, Europe, and the rest of it. So now if we're going to start acting as if we have enough room, we have enough people, we have, you know, an abundance of, of people, we're going to have problems because as it is, as you said, we have a shortage of doctors. So we're not really in a position to be choosy. And, and obviously we're going to have to, you know, have measures in place to ensure that only, we only get the right people, not just any Tom, Dick and Harry, as you said. It's interesting. We'll start on falls, but then I feel like we are moving down the wrong path because we're going to be wasting time and losing lives and 
it's not worth it. It's not worth it. That's my thoughts on it. Shivan, do you have any thoughts that you on no. matter? No, 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 I don't. I'll let this one pass. Okay, I was just thinking that, like, if you look at in terms of like, yeah, like it's what six, seven years to become a practicing doctor. I mean, to add another year onto that, it's just time is money, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. But as and we, we have not. Kunza, on to you, man. What you got? Yeah, another one. I'm just gonna keep it at home as well. So in Gauteng, this was from the Sowetan Live, an 82 million rand school remains unoccupied because it was built on a wetland. I don't know how this happened. I don't know who, who approved this. But then this one has been built for the end, has been sent for the past three years or so and remains unoccupied. It was meant to serve some 1,000, 2,000 kids. So... I'm not sure how a school was built on a wetland. I'm not sure why it's why it was approved, who approved it. But then government's looking into this and yeah. <laughs> do, you, do, you see, do you see do you see what happens when professionals skip the year uh, internship? They go and build schools <laughs> on wetland. So I say yes, let them go for the internship. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I see what you did there, Siobhan. <laughs> um, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's just pure incompetence. I mean, some, like, was it a buddy-buddy system where the architect was like, no, let's just, we, we're bold there. I, I, that's crazy mm. how they could... Did the builder not say, hey, buddy, we can't... Because obviously, like, I'm in the building industry, right? And when we go there, we first excavate, then the architect comes out and we plan it out first, and then we build the foundation and whatnot. So you're telling me the architect, the the... Uh, the surveyors and everybody was like, no, buddy, it's fine. We can't build here. This is swamp land. It boggles my mind because there's so much checks and balances to have it, right? And then you have the health inspector coming to check the structure each step of the way. So was the the safety instructor like on the payroll also? Like, was it just a complete fuck up from top to bottom? It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know, man. It's one of those things. It's South Africa, and it's 82 million rands in that's sitting there for three years unoccupied because it's you know it's not safe for the kids, for the workers. Yeah, it's just one of those things again. God, I love this country. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Ah, uh, well, yeah. you need a. What else did you come up with? I just want to take it back. You know, last week we sp- uh, on the previous podcast we spoke about Turkey. And the tensions yeah. with Greece, right? I just yeah. like to give you some feedback on that. So Greece announced a military boost. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new arms—they've uh, purchased some new significant weapons. Uh, the new arms include eighteen French Raphael fighter jets, four frigates, and four navy helicopters. Prime Minister Kriakos Mitsokas said. The country also plans to increase the size of its armed forces by 15,000 soldiers over the next five years. Tensions Mm -hmm. have flared between Greece and Turkey over gas reserves in the eastern Mediterranean. Um, The two NATO allies have have competing claims over maritime rights, prompting fear that tensions could further escalate. Uh, The European Union, of which Greece is a member, has previously called on dialogue, but 
guys, it's heating up in the Mediterranean Sea. And I feel like well, this just kind of highlights the hardened stance of Greece. And, you know, everybody thinks of Greece as kind of like a bankrupt state. And this kind of, the purchase of these weapons kind of just highlights how desperate they are to get to these gas reserves because obviously the economy needs an influx of cash and support. I think that's why they're playing hardline with this, you know? Um, So that's quite interesting, I thought. And it could spark quite a few... uh, Quite a few ripple effects throughout European Union because both of these members are part of NATO, right? So who who where, who's going to back who? You know, because mm-hmm. they are technically allies in a sense. Plus, Turkey is biting off more piece uh, piece of the cake bigger than they can eat actually because you know they've got the ISIS, ISIS effect that they're still fighting in uh, Syria because Syria is a neighbor and. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just like, you know, we've seen with, especially that's what led to the downfall of the Nazis in a sense. They fought war on three fronts. Can Turkey afford to fight on two fronts, you know? So that's quite interesting. Um, I yeah. think that's a development that we kind of... To monitor, yeah? I, I I agree, man. It's it's interesting because I think this is a case in which we actually get to put theory to test, liberal theory in particular, because liberal theory says democracies don't go to war with each other. So now we'll see what one democracy goes to war with another and actually put the theory to test and possibly prove it wrong. We'll see what gives. I I think it'll be dialogue will conquer, it won't be a war, all out war, probably a bit of scaffold here and there, you know, some some bullets in there, but I don't think we'll have an all-out war between Greece and, and Turkey. I think there's too much at stake for not just the two countries, but then the region as well, because remember, Greece is owing money to the EU. So having them involved in war and buying these weapons takes away from the ability to actually make the economy recover and create jobs and all of that. So there's a lot at stake for both all parties, the EU, Turkey, and Greece. So I think we're going to see dialogue conquer and not an all-out war as we've seen previously with the other nations. No, That's what I, I think. I agree, I agree. Um, finally, I'd like to bring it back home before we get Siobhan on to talk about his his work. Um, how can we forget about the e- EFF? Mm-hmm. <laughs> our good friends. Ah, our good friends. Uh, I, just, I just saw an article now as I was preparing for this podcast, and they, it's, it's on IRL. Yeah. The headline speaks, it's by Nathan mm-hmm. Adams. Uh, it says, jubilation as Cape EFF members arrested outside Click's store set free on warning. Um, so they were arrested over the weekend after they're protesting outside Click's store. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who do not know the situation in South Africa at the moment, um, so the Tresemme, Tresemme is a shampoo company, if I'm not mistaken, um, they had some advertising mm-hmm. where they basically said that white hair is the right type of hair to have and natural African curly hair is wrong and that you should buy the product to have um, straight hair, essentially, which is insensitive uh, at its core. Yeah. We're not 
personally, it's not right. Uh, they were insensitive and somebody fucked up, right? Uh, let's just get that out of the way. However, yeah. following this, um, the EFF, basically a radical party, uh, one of the three main parties in South Africa, they decided that the only way to stop this was to protest outside click stores as well as they made the notion that people should burn down clicks and they are from entering click stores and employees and so so forth. So that, that's the gist of what happened. Mm. However, the situation, uh, I'll just say my piece and then you guys can jump in, right? Um, I have two issues with the whole clicks issue. My whole issue stems from two points. One, the EFF is once again short-sighted. Firstly, by causing burning and causing damage to click stores, you're robbing people from the opportunity of making a living. Such uh, incendiary mark, remarks yeah. cannot be made from a strong political power. It's irresponsible. A simple observation. If you walk into a click store, the majority of the employees are people of color. And, when, and I'm not condoning the actions of clicks because someone fucked up. But to destroy property of an advertisement is disproportionate and nonsensical. The EFF is kept alive because of headlines and fiery sentences. Beyond their anger and red overalls, their policies are shit. And whoever in is in charge of the P their P PR department is doing an outstanding job because the EFF is always relevant and gaining notoriety. They're afraid of this social justice warrior culture yeah. that we see trending all over the world. Everyone's an activist on Twitter. Everyone's trying to be part of the struggle. And in the inter instance, it's the battle against clicks. Could the EFF not simply have said, let's boycott and sue clicks? Yes, violence is effective, but it shouldn't be used as a first resort. Now, that's, that's my first issue, right? Because people are losing yeah. livelihoods and everything, right? Then my second issue is clicks suspended the junior staff, PR staff. But you're forgetting that nothing goes on with uh, the high up signing uh, signing off on it, whether it's the ethics committee or the HR department, everybody should have been aware and clued up. The HR department fucked up. Click shouldn't throw these juniors under the bus, right? I think also it speaks to yes, we are diverse, right? But I don't think it was insensitive I, remarks. I, I don't think it was they knew what they were doing, right? They just, like, ignorance is bliss, in a sense, right? So they didn't understand how to be sensitive to the cultural uh, connotations of the matter, I think. Let's just play devil's advocate. Let's assume that they didn't, right? So, yes, somebody messed up, but to burn down stores and damage property, uh, the, I don't feel like it's a worthy comparison, in a sense, and I think it speaks to the need to understand... South, South, the dynamics of South Africa and talks about the diversity within these departments in a sense, the HR department, the advertisement department. Somebody should have been like, this is inappropriate. So maybe this is a, I hate to be calling it, but maybe this is an undiverse uh, department, you know? I, I'm trying to be very sugar-coated here. Uh, but yeah, you know, it just shows that there was no diversity within this department. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts? Uh, 
Look, man, the whole thing of of clicks and the FF and Tresemme and the ad itself, it's interesting because there's been a lot of, of talk, you know, different opinions, some saying this, some saying that. And it's it's for me it's it's not necessarily the ad itself and how the FF reacts reacted. It's a question of as you said, it's a matter of making a living and the FF is a bit unreasonable and all that. But then the question is, if let's say the the FF does not react in a, a radical manner and they kind of know it due to a small boycott, they keep pressing on the shelves and they don't really cause much of a scene. What what what, what next will clicks do? Because if you let this slide, you know, with a bit of a slap on the wrist, they can then move on to do something else, you know, something a bit more offensive, something way more insensitive and something that's just completely out of line. So the question is, what's the best way to react? You can do a boycott, yes, but then in any way, in any case, how many black people actually use Tresemme, you know? So it's a question of, if you allow this to slide, what happens next? Where do you draw the line and say, okay, now we can use violence, now we can you know, pick it outside the stores. Now we can stop people from going to work. It's a question of trying to balance between making a living and decency. There's something Fanon, is it Fanon once said, or I think it was something else about, you know, having bread as a slave or having cake as a slave, something to that effect. I don't really remember, but then it has something to, I'd rather be hungry and, and I don't know, free or have as opposed to having cake and, and be a slave, something along those lines, I don't really remember. But then it's a question of, of balance. Where do you draw the line? You know, where do you say enough is enough? Same thing with KFC this last week, same week week as, as clicks. So on, I don't know if you saw this, but it, it wasn't as big as the whole clicks thing, whereby on, on ETV, there's this show called Family Feud, hosted by Steve Harvey, sponsored by KFC, so there was this family, a Tsonga family. So they came in wearing traditional clothing, colorful clothing, you know, yellow, pink, blue, green, every color you can imagine, colorful. Then KFC has a tweet saying, when you don't know which color to wear, so you wear them all, right? So where do you draw the line? Because that's insensitive in the, in the context of our country because it's yeah. traditional clothing. So where do you say, okay, I'll boycott, or I will use violence. It's difficult now because in our case, we did try boycotts back in the day when we, before all of us were born. You know, our parents tried not carrying their passes, their grandparents didn't carry their passes, and they got beat up, they got put into jail. But then when, when they said, when I take up arms, the government was willing to listen. So now I have this case of by, there's a history of violence and the success of violence. We have seen violence at play. We've seen violence be able to achieve things overnight, over months, over years, much quicker than boycotts and protests and the rest of it in poems and songs. So it's that history that informs how we react to this day. Because let's say in, in a case where in a township there's no water, no electricity, or they need houses, they'll protest. They'll burn things down, you know, the councillor's house or the, the, the town hall, or whatever the case is. We've seen violence win. So what else can we do? Because violence is what we know in terms of trying to get a win. 
That's what I think. The history of violence informs how we use violence to this day and age. That's what I think. Can I, I can I Dave. come in here, please? Um, I just, of I just want, <laughs> I just want to say from, yeah, sure. from the onset, um, and this also includes my previous comment that I'm no political analyst. I'm no expert in politics. It is not my field. So the opinions that I express are that it's just that they are my opinions. They should not be taken as as any form of yeah. authoritarian voice or anything of the sort. But what I would like to say is that I am very concerned about um, about the situation that we've seen unfold in South Africa with regards to um, the cliques, or let's call it EFF versus um, the cliques situation. I get very concerned when um, when when things happen, like um, the cliques debacle, and um, the first trajectory that that gets taken or gets considered is that of violence. And in so doing, we disregard um, dialogue. Mm. Um, I, 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 mm. I begin to look at things such as um, innocent people getting hurt, innocent people's um, livelihoods getting destroyed, as Trace had already pointed out, and so many other freedoms that get, um, that get um, limited or restricted or, or totally abolished because of certain movements that take place. Um, so the fact that, that, vi- that the violent trajectory gets taken is very bothering to me because um, there are other people who are also trying to make a living. And then we need to look at things such as the severity of, of, of the situation. I've heard many people um, who would fall into the, into the category of the so-called um, discriminated group of, of the cliques advert that have come out and said that why is the EFF not as vocal or as um, expressive in terms of other more pressing social issues that we find in South Africa? Now, I had, I had no um, association or no um, involvement with this um, in terms of active, being an activist, um, in terms of what has taken place. But when that, when that came up to me, I was just like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, if the EFF were to use the sort of power and the sort of um, momentum to fight other social issue, issues that are very, very, very much pressing. I am sure that um, much would get done. But I also didn't know that we had a cho- uh, we, the two choices that were presented to us is, is um, the so-called peace approach and the violence approach. I didn't know that the two of them existed on a spectrum because that's what mm. I picked up from your explanation, Quinn, is that when you decide that um, it is either violence or peace, and my my question, my, my, my what I'm concerned yeah. about is that when we when we create a society or when we construct society in terms of, you know what, it's fine, just go and burn down or just go and, and protest. And what happens when those type of things in our families, in our homes? When do we say violence is allowed inside the home? When is violence not allowed inside the home? We begin to mm. we begin to um, um, narrow and blur these lines that are supposed to exist, because remember. What we carry out in the one domain, it's very likely to persist in another domain because they create a sort of culture and a normality around mm. the sense of so, um, what we are talking about now, violence. So then we create the sense of violence is, is seen as the go-to option. So you know what? I've seen it happening outside. Let me bring this sort of violence sense into the home. Let me bring it into the street. Let me bring it into my workplace. Then what type of, mm. of, of, of unfolding do we see? We're going to see a sort of havoc unfolding in, mm-hmm. in not just in institutions of, 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 of upper institutions, like a governmental institution, but we begin to see it in our homes. And I think our aim where we are at, especially in South Africa, is trying to eradicate um, violence. So 
perpetuating any idea of any form of violence, I don't think um, um, that is that is 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 the go-to. And I think our constitution looks at things like hate speech or speech that would sort of elicit violence. And it's also this, and I'm pointing this out just to to, to touch on the fact that we have these strives in place to sort of, of, of move away from a violent approach because violence has some very drastic um, um, after effects um, that leaves many, many people, um, yeah. um, how can I say, leaves them, leaves them in situations that are very difficult to recover from. So we need to ask ourselves, is this the approach mm -hmm. that we should be looking at at all? Or are there other mechanisms within society that are able to equally achieve what violence can? Perhaps not as quickly, um, but they can achieve them. And I think it indeed does no, bring... I, uh, yeah, no, sorry, please go, Chase. No, I just wanted to agree with you on that. Um, violence perpetuates violence. Uh, you were about to say something, continue. Um, no, 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 it's fine. I think I think we can call it time on that one. I don't want to start um, rambling and, and, and just no, speaking no, because no, I want no, to speak. No, 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 no. I, I, like I like the passion, man. Go for it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I can't even remember what I wanted to say. What was I busy saying? You you were saying... Violence in the no, home. No, Quinzo, I'm past that long time ago. That was a, a former point that I was busy making. <laughs> Um, I, I just wanted to play um, devil's advocate on this, if I can, and then uh, if you remember what you've said. So if you look at both Kentucky, uh, KFC, and Tresemme, right? They're both international brands, right? And we can't yeah. forget that the who these are international brands, right? So they may not be aware of the situation. This might be outsourced to some Indian, Indian call center guy who doesn't know, okay, cool, I need to be aware of this is African dress, okay, like that. Or, listen, yeah, it's wrong to say uh, curly hair is bad. Like, we, we must forget that, just to play devil's advocate, that this could be outsourced because everything is cheaper in Asia, in a sense, uh, if you want to be brutally correct, right? So we can't underestimate yeah. the fact that this could be just outsourced and... We need, then need to understand that everybody's not aware of the cultural tone, the undertones of South Africa. Because whether you like it or not, we are one of the most diverse and crazy nations in the world, right? There is certain things that only you as a South African can know, like the undertones and so forth, right? Um, people just think that we're, there's just yeah. English, Afrikaans, and Koza. That That's what they think, right? And I mean, the, the identity politics in South Africa needs to be understood by South Africans. So whoever's in charge of this maybe needs to be a South African that tweets these things. But we can't just say, assume that an international brand will know the dynamics of South Africa. I think that's, that's something that we need to pay attention and brands need to realize. Like, if this is an international brand coming in, they need to be aware of the landscape. For example, if Starbucks came down and says uh, black coffee is the best, firstly, there's a DJ named Black Coffee, so is he involved? Uh, what about cream? Some people like milk in their coffee, you know? Some people like light skin coffee. Coffee's gone, you know? Like, just to give a rough idea, right? You can't just say black is the best coffee and so forth and so forth. Some people like milk in their coffee. Th that's what I'm saying. 
if Starbucks needs to come in, they need to have like a South African PR guy saying, hey, this is what's happening and so forth. And that South African guy will do their tweets. So maybe in this instance, that didn't happen. I don't know. Do you guys agree? Do you not? I, yeah, I agree with you, man. You you always have to be, you know, in, in touch and in, in line with your with your markets. But then in terms of Tresemme, Unilever has been in the country for over, I'd say, 20 years. So they have no excuse for such an, an ad. KFC, over 20 years as well in the country. No excuse as well. But then I agree, you need to be, you know, sensitive and in line with your with your context. There's obviously room for, you know, all these graduates with marketing degrees and the rest of it. So actually come in and play a role and say, this is how you should, you know, present your brand, what you should say, what you should not say in order to be, you know, in line and in touch with your markets as you change countries and grow and diversify. You wanted to say, no, no, no. I, I wanted to say that um, um, ignorance can play a role. And on, in saying that, I would like to also say that I think in society we need to make a room for, for, for ignorance in terms of um, when someone really doesn't know something or they are culturally, culturally ignorant on a certain topic, we should allow room for for them to express their views and educate um, in a, in a can I call it, um, I don't know if this is also a politically incorrect term, but in a civilized um, way to sort of dialogue mm. about these things. Indeed, there are still um, parts of, of the world and people who are uninformed about certain topics and how and, and the different cultural diversities that we find um, in the world today. And therefore, we should make um, room for ignorance because not not everyone and not every culture, not every country knows everything about everyone. So I feel like there has to be um, room for that um, sort of ignorance. Our first approach again, and, and in saying this, and when we create this sort of room for this sort of ignorance and we can have a dialogue about it, we would better stand to educate people because now innocent people, because you must always remember behind every advertisement, behind every um, marketing strategy, marketing plan, there are people behind it. And those people, um, like you and I, can also be ignorant on certain topics. So when we address certain issues, we must always consider, let me say with a sense of compassion and empathy in terms of, I don't want to attack you, but I rather want to build you up. So let me find a way to sort of discuss this thing with you. So um, in South Africa, we cannot say um, that um, black curly hair or, 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 or portraying black people as having dry curly hair is, is the worst thing or it's not right. We cannot say that in our country because um, we have people who have that as their natural hair and they embrace that hair and therefore we cannot say this. But now we go to someone who has been totally ignorant on the matter and we attack this person in such a way, I don't think that is the way to go. However, I also do think that with global movements um, that have been taken that have been taking place, there should also be a sense of sensitivity, an increased sense of sen of sensitivity um, around issues, um, because we also need to acknowledge the fact. And I don't know to 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 what extent we should actually take this to heart, but we should also also acknowledge the fact that society is becoming more and more sensitive um, to 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 various many many issues. And as a result of the sensitivity that we are experiencing, we see that there is an increase in, in, in restrictions on, on um, freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And, 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 and because of that, we need to mm. ask ourselves, um, what is it and 
yeah, what are we going to allow and what are we not going to allow? Because if we want to live in harmony with one another, I think the the the, the one fundamental principle that 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 guides or or, or motivates this this sort of harmony is um is liberty, is individual liberty. And 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 I think this is also also tying into into this this notion of identity politics, which I do not have a lot of knowledge on, but it's where we are now seeing that um more groups are arising, minority groups are arising and fighting for 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 rights and for recognition and, and you name it. So what I wanted to say is that we should also allow for the individual to express himself. And in his expression, we could then sort of so-called educate him to say that these are the cultural limitations or the cultural um, restrictions that we find in South Africa or in my community or in my religion or, or you name it. Um, but I don't think um, just going and attacking that person yeah. or the institution or whatever, um, unless, of course, these people have histories of, of being troublemakers in, 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 in terms of... Um, of what is this thing called of racial remarks of slandering or, or, or marginalizing certain groups, then I understand. Um, but for, for first-time offenders, I think we need to we need to handle situations with more grace and not so easily tap into into this um, cancel culture that is that is so increasing um, um, globally. I think I have preached enough. So over to you, host um, Chase. <laughs> I I like I like what I'm hearing. You know, to be brutally honest, uh, something that stood out that you said now was make room for ignorance, right? I feel like we are so quick to jump on people the moment they make a fuck up nowadays or say anything insensitive because that's the whole beauty of this podcast, in a sense. You know, we we here to talk and learn, right? We're gonna get into your work now, and a lot of it I'm ignorant to. Like I don't know. But that's your lived experience, and I'm going to learn from that conversation that we're about to have, you know? And that's the beauty of it. I know yeah. that you won't jump down my throat now and say, hey, let's cancel Chess now. You're not going to put any WhatsApp <laughs> stories, cancel questioning commission, yeah. stuff like that. Because the dialogue mm-hmm. is there. We're talking about these things and so forth. Like if I ask Quinza about his culture, he's not going to say, you don't know shit, man. Don't ask me about my culture mm-hmm. and so forth. Because... I'm learning from yeah. him and he's learning from me. And that's that's how we get to move forward. But this idea that the moment somebody fucks up, he's done for it. I, I, it's it's going to be a hard line because we're going to have to draw a line in the sand <laughs> very soon in society, right? Because everybody wants to cancel everybody. So if you say a remark or if you did something, right, 20 years ago, they'll cancel you <laughs> for it now. There's no... It's child by me- social media. <laughs> it's child by social media. I feel there was a recent study where they're trying to remove, um, they were trying to remove uh, John Wayne because he was a racist actor back in the day. But you have to contextualize the times, right? Mm-hmm. Leon Schuster, they're trying to cancel. I'm not saying what wearing blackface is right or wrong, but you contextualize the time. We all mm-hmm. thought that Leon Schuster was funny. Some of his stuff holds up, mm-hmm. some of it doesn't, right? But to say, oh, let's cancel him now. We're forgetting the context of everything, mm-hmm. right? Indeed. And that's the issue that we need to, we need to address as a society, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, so that's what I like about yeah. what he said was make room for ignorance. And we must stop being so bloody yeah, sensitive. I, I agree. And, and the issue that I'm having, um, Chase and Quinzo, is that 
we are noticing that there's this deliberate act in trying to call people out. So um, we don't just have, we have this, as you said, we're going back to what people said 20 years ago, and we are making it um, um, relevant, so-called to today, and we are saying that this is who this person is. And and these are the same people that are preaching um, evolution and um, the growth of the person and how we grow as people and how we change as people. But then they are the, they are the same people to go back and say, but 20 years ago, you, you, you said this and you said that. Um, and then we look at, and then it's the same people that call themselves liberals. And then what I'm, what I've, what I, what I was really shocked about is, and, and, and I just want to take this is, I don't know. Um, this is, this is, um, I think he's a journalist or a political commentator in America. His name is Ben Shapiro. So yeah, I was I reading his story yeah. and, um, or a portion of it. Um, and, what I was very shocked about is that in America, the so-called liberal, liberal, liberal country that is supposed to be so free and for the people and for freedom of expression and freedom of speech, that when he was to deliver um, a speech at um, one of the universities, um, or the first time he delivered the speech at the university, or one of the earlier times rather, he literally had to be escorted in by police um, because he brings in a conservative perspective. So my question is that if we are hindering freedom of expression so much in society, how do we expect our people to make informed decisions? Because at the end of the day, if I'm going to be hindering, say Chase is a conservative voice and Quenzo is a democratic voice, if I'm going to, or a liberal voice, as it is termed today, if I'm going to, to, to silence Chase and, 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 and try and cancel him out. All that, I will, all that the audience will be hearing is the liberal voice, right? And then at the end of the day, what mm. choice do the people have to make if all you are allowing them to hear is the liberal voice and not the so-called um, conservative voice or the other side of the, of, the, of the spectrum? So my question is, if we are saying that people are free thinkers, that we are free individuals, give us the freedom to say what we want to say, give us the freedom to make a choice based on whether mm. I want to believe the doctrine that, the, the, the doctrine that Chase is, is presenting to us, the so-called conservative doctrine, or whether I want to believe the liberal, con the liberal doctrine that um, Quenzo is, is, is presenting to me. So if you do not allow us to make that choice, I feel like we are doing a great, great injustice to, to, to us as, as, as human beings. And in fact, you are just making us um, mere robots that you are programming with, with um, your doctrines. So I think it is very important that we as, 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 as these young people that are occupying such spaces as this podcast that you all have created, I think it's very important for us to always, always, always allow for things such as freedom of, freedom of, of expression and freedom of speech, because we are seeing this, this one right under so much threat in society today. People are not allowed to say anything. Everything is, is taken as hate speech. And the, the worst part of it all is that we don't listen yeah. to theories anymore. We don't listen to arguments anymore. We look at who is saying it. So if it's Chase and I just don't like Chase, I will cancel him no matter how sound his doctrine is, no matter the facts that he's presenting, I will just cancel him because I don't like Chase. I will just cancel Quenzo because I don't like Quenzo. So I think we need to, we need to constantly create the room for sound arguments and doctrines that we don't agree with and allow them to be aired. At the end, let the audience decide for themselves whether they agree with it or not, but do not come with a sort of cancel culture that wants to just cancel people out merely because of, of who they are as individuals. Look, man, I couldn't have put it better. I think it goes back to Trump as well. Give him the prize because he's done well. Don't deny yeah. him the prize because he's a bad man. Same same principle as well. 
And I think that's why even we, Trace and I, we lean more towards the right. And that's why we're trying to engage more with people who have a different perspective because we know that as much as we lean towards the right, mm-hmm. our opinions are not the law. You know, they're not divine in any way, shape or form. So we need to engage people from the left, hear what they have to say. Why do they believe we should cancel everyone who comes into, into you know, 10 mm-hmm. meters of the uh, vicinity, whatever the case is. So there's a lot... A lot to learn, but then we need to be aware of the fact that as much as the liberals may want to cancel everyone, and, you know, Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, us, Henry of else is in existence and saying something different to what they say, they're going to end up fighting amongst themselves. That's the reality, the actuality of the whole thing. So I think there's a lot to discuss, a lot to look at. But then for now, I think we can, we can move on and come in while you're here. Why are you with us this evening? Why is Siobhan van Roy with us? Wait, before I continue, Chase, um, Chase would like to say something. I just wanted to say something. Okay, go um, on, Chase. Just to end off with what we, we're saying, because identity politics is essentially what this is about. And if the narrative doesn't suit the majority of the left, the far left, that's when we experience this cancel culture, yeah. right? I mean, we're having doctors mm. afraid to speak up about science because they're scared of having their license removed because of the left and the narrative of everyone's fluid and so forth. Like, science no longer mm-hmm. exists. It's your lived experience and your mm. understanding of it. And that's the issue. So we need... I'm not saying hardline. Like, I don't care what you are. If you are... As everybody needs to live their best life. I've said this from the beginning of time to now. I don't care what everybody does right everybody needs to live their best life just don't to what degree do i have to partake in your uh reality in a sense right so i i'm not going to go out of my way and say he is a she i i'll address you whatever you want to if you want to be a unicorn i will call you a unicorn right my thing is Mm. let us call a spade a spade and so forth and i um Javon, I don't know if you, we'll get into your background and everything, but I think that we, what's cool is we're having a dialogue and my perception is going to change during the, this conversation because I've done a bit of research into Siobhan and we've known each other since I think first or second year. I'm not too sure. Second year. Second, second year. year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to learn from each other. 2017. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know a lot about linguistics. I was there for one semester and that was done. But I read, listen to the man's stories and it develops, right? <laughs> I, like, we may not his WhatsApp stories and I, like, it kind of educates me in a certain matter of thing. I saw you teaching about taxes this yesterday or this morning. But I, like, you see, we are learning from each other, right? And I think yeah. that the society de- today doesn't want to learn. They just want to be right. Okay. And yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to project. And that that forms the identity. And we're going into identity politics now. I think that that was my main takeaway from Siobhan's research is it's centered around the principles of identity. So Siobhan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being on. Uh, Quinza and I really appreciate it. Do you just want to give your background and so forth and then we can tackle mm-hmm. your... 
<laughs> well, I don't, I don't think there's, there's, there's much to say about me. But before I even introduce myself, you mentioned something that is really interesting to me, um, that that stands out a lot. Um, is that or, or the conversation that we are having? It, it, it alludes to this, this notion or this idea of society trying to to make a way of, of make a way with certain foundational principles or let me call it objectives ob- objectives like you know ob- objective views objective values that they're trying to make away with and you mentioned this term fluidity that everything is fluid you can do what you want you can change what you want um and and, and so forth and you the thing that i was doing but with taxis by the way i was i was giving um a workshop um for one of for the for the module that i'm currently tutoring um at university so the thing that I was saying about taxis is that I was I was explaining to the students that they were asked to create what we call a word formation rule. And this is basically a generalization that counts for a set of data. So they will be presented data and they need to create a rule that would account for what is happening in this data of how these words have been formed. And very important is that the there are certain rules that, that govern the formation, or you need to present the rule that govern the formation of, of these words. And that is basically the linguistics that I am doing. I'm doing what we call syntax, right? And this syntax um, is a, a definition that is that is provided for it is, and I'll read it, is that syntax is the system of rules that we subconsciously follow when we build sentences. So the very, the, 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 the fundamental thing here that I would like to point out is that Whatever we do in life is governed by rules, that there are certain underlying principles that they are, um, that, that, are, that, that, are that are underlying what we do. So the thing about the taxes that I was saying is that um, all ve- or rather I was saying all vehicles in South Africa, the rule is that all vehicles in South Africa drive on the left hand side, whether it is a bucky, a truck, a car, a motorbike, you name it, they all drive on the left hand side. But the point that I was making with taxis is that sometimes the taxis drive on whichever side they want to, whether it is the right side, the left side, upside down, left side up, you name it. They drive wherever they want to drive. And what we see happening is, is a sort of havoc that, is, that, that arises out of the actions. And this happens when we start to defy rules of nature and when we start to defy rules that have governed us and that have, that have, that have um that have so, so, sort of formed and forged our, 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 our civilization or life as we know it or knew it perhaps um, even, um, is that when we start to disregard these rules, we see that there's a sense of havoc that, 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 that we see emanating in society. And the thing that I want to say about, about the linguistics is that the same way that, that nature, that certain, certain things are, 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 are things in the natural world are governed by rules, so is a language governed by rules. So the form that, I am, that, I'm, that I'm doing, or that's one of the projects I didn't introduce myself, so I'm speaking very demaka um, or messed up in no perhaps coherent manner, but I'm sure um, you will get <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, so just grab hold of the important things. So. I'm a master's student in the linguistics department at the University of the Western Cape, um, known as UWC or UDubs, and I'm very, very, very proud to be at the University of the Western Cape. Um, Initially, it was one of the institutions that I did not want to attend. I did not want to go there. I've heard so many bad things about it. I heard it is a university for people of the bush, or it is called Bush University, and I said to myself, there's no way that I would want to be part of an institution that is labeled as a bush. Um, But I realized that some of the finest 
things come out of the bush. So here I am today, part of this historically significant, and not only is it historically significant, I mean, it was one of the institutions, if not the first institution, that was established for people of color in South Africa. So it has a very strong and a very rich um, history. So I'm very proud to be a part of this um, institution known as UWC. So what I do at, U at UWC is linguistics. And um, if you want to Zoom in a bit more. I do formal linguistics, and if you zoom in a little bit, even if you zoom in even more, you will see that I do syntax. So syntax has to do with the rules governing language, right? These rules. So the the language that I'm focusing on um, um, for my for my masters is Caps or variety of Afrikaans. Caps is a variety of Afrikaans spoken on the Cape Peninsula of South Africa. Um, it is spoken predominantly, but not exclusively, by the, by people of color or by colored people. Um, so I'm studying it from a very formal, very formal perspective. So there's no identity politics happening there. There's, there's, there's nothing. It's very formal. It is actually, this, this linguistics is known as um, a science, right? Um, and um, yeah, it's known as a science for, 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 for several many, many reasons. And some of them make sense to me and some of them I'm still coming to know because I'm very new to this, this field of linguistics still. So in no way am I even an expert in, 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 in this um, linguistics that I'm doing or in the course that I'm doing. I'm only in the first year of my master's. So what I decided to do is because much of what, um, or a big problem that I find with the research is that we fail as researchers to disseminate our knowledge to the public in such a way that the public understands, that the public knows, what is going on with our research. So the film is basically, if you look at um, our website, you will see that the film is, the very first objective of the film is to introduce CAPS as a language variety, because many people do not know what CAPS is. So I don't want us to think of the film in terms of us versus them, okay? Or, or um, how can I say group X versus group Y? I don't want it to come as this radical um, activist approach and say that, you must listen to this language. This is CAPS. You must, you must, you must. CAPS is the be all, the end all. CAPS is the new language and it must just be so because I said so and I'm, a, I'm studying CAPS. So yeah, no, that's not what I want at all. I want to introduce this um, variety as a language spoken by our people. And with that introduction, I also want to introduce and perhaps challenge the, the stereotypes that have been surrounding people of color. Like um, I want to show that out of communities like Manenberg, which is on the Cape Flats, um, is where my research is focused. So I'll be focusing on carp spoken in, in, in Manenberg. And the film is also um, shot in Manenberg, um, one of many locations. So I want to show that we also have, so what I portray in the movie is, um, is that, or the movie is not done yet. Let me just say I've written the script and we're in early pre-production um, phases of the movie. Um, so what I even, what I depict in the movie is, is that there's this, this girl, um, she is in university and she is the, in a final year and she's a law student, right? So I show that, that there are these, 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 these stories that are very, um, very much overlooked um, or not even paid attention to of, of academic success coming out of communities such as Manenberg. So I try to shift away um, or to not only shift away, but to, um, to bring into the conversation also the sort of successes that we see in 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 Manenberg. So if, if you look at my um, at the at what we call the description of the film, I, I use the terms um, I say 
Erens in die Toekomst, that's the name of the film, is motivated or inspired by the warmth and the cold of the Cape Flats, specifically Manenberg. So by warmth, I'm looking at the positive things that are happening in Manenberg. And then, of course, we also look at the, the, the already um, much spoken of negatives like gangsterism. Um, we look at, um, gun, um, at gang violence that takes place on the Cape Flats. So we also paint um, 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 that picture in the film. So there are many things that we are looking at in the film, but the, the, the soul, um, not the soul, one of the, the, the fundamentals of the film is to just introduce cops as a variety of Afrikaans spoken by people of color to also allow for us to join the arena of saying, think about it in terms of saying, hi, we are also here. That's it. It's not about hi, we are here. Give it to us. Give it to us now. We want it and we want it all. It's nothing like that at all. It's not also, I don't want to join the narrative of, of we are better than you or anything of, of that sort or, 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 or degrade other languages or anything. I just want to say that, hi, we are also here. This is our language. This is our variety. We speak it and we are proud to speak it. That is it. Yeah, man, I, Siobhan, I'm listening to your, what you're doing, it sounds pretty amazing, pretty awesome, makes me doubt and contemplate my master's research, but then, yeah, I leave that for my personal time when I'm alone, you know, before I go to bed. <laughs> I, I, I think for me, as someone who's coming from, you know, a previously disadvantaged community, kind of still is, you know, people are so poor, and the rest of it. It's interesting to see you highlight the successes of such areas because we, we rarely see, we see the odd case whereby, you know, the one kid goes to Harvard and, you know, oh, there's a kid from Manenberg, then the one kid goes to Stanford, or because he's doing math or engineering, mm -hmm. but then or sport. you look or at sport. some... Exactly. But you look at something that I wouldn't really, do, I don't want to downgrade or look down upon, but then something that's just, you know, more common, mm -hmm. you know, like doing law or doing your BA, which is highly yeah. underrated. And I think paying attention to those small things, because if you look at, at where I come from, a township and a place like Manenberg or Ponteville or Mitchell's Plain, as much as you may not recognize, but then those few kids who go to varsity, who actually graduate and choose to lead a better life, they play an important role in trying to change how the community sees the future, mm -hmm. how the younger kids will want to grow up. And in your case, you're doing two important things. First of all, it's you're looking at language, at GAPS as a variant of, of Afrikaans, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. So you're looking at GAPS as a variant of Afrikaans. And above that, you're looking at how this plays a role in these communities, because it's not just a language, it's communication. There we go. It's a way of life. It's a way of understanding your culture who you are, it's, it's, it, it relates to your surroundings, how you view the world. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a matter of saying, what's a language because you need to communicate and say something as opposed to making sounds as Europeans think we do. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty important. And for me, what I want to know is, because I'm, I'm not from Cape Town, I came to Cape Town in 2016 when I, for my first year. Okay. And I know that the, you say you said Gabs is a variant of of Afrikaans, mm -hmm. but then just to are there any like differences that you can point out and say this makes maybe like 
in terms of background or formation or because earlier on you spoke about rules that govern the formation of words. So are there like different rules for for cups as a variant of Afrikaans compared to mainstream Afrikaans? Mm-hmm. Are there any differences there? For, I, I don't know, maybe for me and someone else who's listening who's mm-hmm. not really from Cape Town, are there any like stark differences between cups and mainstream Afrikaans? Yeah, so there are indeed many formal... Um, so, okay, let me. I need to say this also from the onset, that um, the study that we are doing on CAPS, the syntactic study on CAPS is very, very new. There are not many people. My supervisor, in fact, is, um, is, is, is the one who is the forerunner um, with the syntactic study on CAPS. So in linguistics, I would just like to present two um, branches of linguistics. We have the sociolinguistics that deals with the language in society, mm. how it is used um, in adverts, how it's used in institutions, in workplaces and whatnot. You, that's the socio um, branch of linguistics. Then we have this formal yeah. branch that looks at sound systems. It looks at the syntax, which is the rules, the grammar of the language. Um, and we have semantics and, and, and those things, right? I see Chase is taking yeah, out yeah, the book yeah. now. He's going to see if um, I am uh, not lying. Uh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Language, society, and communications. Beautiful. Um, so so um, the study and syntax in, with regards to cup. So many people have done, have done um, research and studies based on, 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 on cups in terms of the socio, um, so if from a socio framework where they looked at cups in society, how it's used, how cups and identity relate and you name it, right? So there are a few studies done like that, but there are in fact no studies done on the syntax of cups, which we are doing. So the research, what I want to point out in saying all of this is that the research is quite new and the findings are still very, very preliminary. Um, so what we see in CAPS is that there are certain, if you look at certain systems in the grammar, like um, the pronominal system, we see that there are certain distinct differences that distinguishes CAPS from standard Afrikaans. When we look at um, mm-hmm. um, um, the sounds, the sound system of the language, how things are pronounced in, 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 in CAPS versus how they're pronounced in standard Afrikaans, we see that there are vast differences mm-hmm. also, or maybe not vast, but there are, there are distinct differences, sounds um, um, and that are that, that we see. So indeed there are differences. If I can take it a bit to the social side, um, very importantly mm-hmm. uh, is that is that CAPS is one of the 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 one of the descendants of Afrikaans. So Afrikaans as we know it today is is a result of the CAPS. Okay, so you know the whole history. Uh, I would assume you know the whole history because um, I believe you are politics yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. majors. Um, so when yeah. the the the, the the slaves came from um, from the different parts of the world Malaysia, to the Cape. Yes, Ola. yes. There we go. So they brought the, obviously they bring, as people we take our languages, our cultures, we take it with us as much of it as we can. So they came and they brought the language and they needed to communicate with the with the with the Dutch people that were here. So that 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 mm. that that um, socio context formed this. Um, sort of variety that they spoke. And this variety is, is, was a mixture of Dutch and these different um, languages that came to the, to the Cape. And so CAPS sort of um, um, extends from that. It is birthed out of that, right? So CAPS is one of the earliest varieties of Afrikaans, one of the oldest varieties of Afrikaans. So this is before the whole colonial, um, you know, the whole um, Afrikaans used as a language of oppression and, and, and whatnot. It's, it, it, it predates that. Um, and 
is that it is one of the oldest or first varieties of Afrikaans to have um, been birthed here in the Cape. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, Chase, I, what's on your mind? I just wanted to ask you, in terms of your, your study, do you focus on places of articulation for your set? So if you're looking at a specific uh, type of word, so like the bilabial, the vela, mm-hmm. the labiodental, the alveolar, do you focus on that and then try to use that to, ju- I don't want to say justify, but do you use that to kind of uh, influence your study from the offset? You know, yeah. Why, uh, why, um, I, I don't know how to say, like, do you use the, like, the places of articulation to say that this is why, and based with the history of people of color, that <laughs> what they're coming, the places of articulation are still valid because of the ingrained experience, you know? So if you speak a specific way, your vocal cords are trained in a, a certain manner and so forth. So we shouldn't, yeah. I would say, discriminate in a sense because that obviously if you in an environment where you talk Afrikaans or Caps Afrikaans, that's all you know, right? And then when you go to another environment, um, then it changes. And obviously now that you're having to speak raw, raw English, you struggle in a sense because of... yeah. Of like your ingrained experience, so yeah, I, I hear you. And kind of like, yeah, I hear you. For it, sorry, yeah, I hear you. And um, I think you just set out a nice dissertation topic for someone, um, but that's not what I'm doing. Um, I'm not looking at that's more. Okay. That's more got to do with the phonology um, or the phonetics of the language, or the sound okay. system of the language, because that's obviously place of articulation plays an important role there. Knowing why people. Um, or yeah, knowing how a certain sound is produced. So obviously, place of articulation plays a very, very important role. There. But that is not what I'm doing. So what I'm looking at in particular, okay. or, or specifically, is um, verb second and verb third um, property, the verb second and verb third property um, in cups. So I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at describing this. So because you need to remember, the study of syntax with regards to cups is new. So we need a lot of description still to 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 um to come to the to to the to the table so that so that other researchers have more work to do you know so they can take the research further. So I'm I'm going okay. to be looking at verb second and verb third. So that's basically just positions in in the in the structure of the sentence that the verb occupies. So in V two um, okay. um contexts, it means that the verb will always there will always be a verb in the second position of that sentence, and V three means that there will be a verb in third um, place in a certain sentence. That is now obviously a V three construction. So. What I'm looking at is looking at describing those properties because they haven't been done yet. So there are no descriptions based on these V2 and V3 properties. So I'm looking at describing them so that um, potential or future researchers could even come and take the research further or even I could take it further. So I'm looking at them. So my study is known as a socio-syntactic study of, of, of V2 and V3 in CAPS, in Mannenberg CAPS. So I'm looking at um, how how V2 and V3 are those properties that relate to, to social variables like age, um, gender, um, you know, your linguistic background and those things. So I'm doing like a sort of comparative, a comparison between those two, seeing there's a relationship um, between the two of them. Um, 
But otherwise, I'm not looking at, and to answer your question, I'm not looking at places of articulation. I, I would, however, I could, however, um, give a sort of like, you know, just an overview of cups and give like, you know, a semantic overview, a phonology or phonetic overview or a syntactic overview. And then just in there, I could present um, like, okay, looking at, at places of articulation, we can see that in standard Afrikaans, perhaps, or other West Germanic varieties, we see that um, there's a tendency for um, um, this particular sound or sounds to be produced at these places of articulation. Um, however, in cups, we see that there's a difference, you know, such things, but that is not my um, focus. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just want to take it back. Hmm. I want to take it back. How did you get into the list? into the linguistic field tell us a, like a bit about yourself mm. so you you said that you didn't want to join the bush university i mean we are all bush alumni yes so <laughs> tell us the journey from Rhodes, because i really wanted to go to Rhodes, yeah, um, yeah. to uwc and just that journey so we know sure. so we've known that we know the end part mm. now we want to know what built, what got you here to this point because it, Quinza and I, we, I think we caught the politics bug from first year where we are, we had these lectures um, on a Wednesday in S1, Professor Anciano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah Quinza. And we used to have these raucous debates, like there'd be 50 people. And this was like the heyday of like the student uh, fees must fall movement. So everybody was like wildly political and like they were shouting. Like it just, I, I caught the bug because I loved mm-hmm. it. And, like, that's kind of just brought me here to the place that I am now, masters, politics, all that jazz. So I kind of want to know what gave you the bug for linguistics, what kind of shaped it, um, and how did you come about getting to the movie? Let's just first start on how did you get to linguistics, and then we can take it from there. Okay, so in high school, I've always had this this language or this linguistic flair. I've always been drawn to language. if you speak to anyone at school, they would know that I was the so-called English guy, if you want to put it that way. I used to love English. I would prioritize English over all other subjects, and that's just who I was. Um, so I always had this 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 eye for, for, for nitty-gritties in language. So it's definitely a natural, there's some natural um, or intrinsic sort of attraction towards language or, or, or intrinsic abilities that I had um, for, for linguistics. So that definitely played a role. Um, so what happened was when I went to, um, to Rhodes University, because that's where I went for my first year, I um, did linguistics there. I took linguistics as a, as a module. Um, and then I did linguistics, I did politics. Um, so that is how Chase and I met because I also did politics. Um, so, yeah, I did linguistics there. And then I was at Rhodes and it was going, going, going. And it was a time of the fees must fall. Um, movement as Chase has pointed out and me me being mommy's boy the youngest gone away from home I was brave and bold this radical activism didn't work for me there was burning of of tires and they were shooting so I was in a very what they um very infamous uh, male res on um at Rhodes University known as I think the name has changed now yes but back then it was known as Jan Smuts um resident I think it was the largest or one of the largest male residences on, on campus. So, um, so when, 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 when things happened, right, it happened at this young smart's house. And um, so one day during the heat of the protest, the fire was burning and everything and whatnot. So 
the police come the police come running in and they're throwing grenades and it's just going mad inside the house. So this is inside my residence. And me, this young lady, doesn't know anything about this. I'm experiencing this and I'm like, yo. Okay. On another occasion, also with the Fismas Full Movement, I'm standing in front of my door. Protesters were inside the house and they were having some um, contestation or disagreement with the police. And the police start shooting and through the window, I get shot standing in front of my door with a rubber bullet. And I was just like, good Lord, <laughs> this isn't for me, right? And just the culture at Rhodes University, like that was, a, that, there's still a lot of enjoyment out of that. I mean, you have the adrenaline that was pumping through your body and it was just, you know, you were running, you were playing cowboy and crooks and it was just going, it was, it was cool, you know? <laughs> you, can, you can say I was part of that Fismas Four movement. And I mean, at Rhodes University, it was something like I haven't seen it before. I haven't seen protests or I haven't been so close to a protest like that before. I mean... And then it was um, the gender-based violence or the rape protest also taking place. So it was very hyped up, you know, my experience was very hyped up there. But then I realized that this is not why I was here, man. This isn't why I was at university. I didn't come here for this, you know. I don't know if you have, have a choice on, on what you get as, the, as part of the package, but I wasn't there for that. And the culture at the Rhodes University just didn't seem to sit well with me. There was just this other culture. I didn't feel at home there. Um, so... At the end of 2016, I said to myself, I said to my, my, my parents, I'm coming home, just phone the courier company. They need to come fetch all my stuff at Jan Smut's house. I'm going home. And, I, and, 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 be, and, and, and bear in mind that when I said to them that, I had no institution back in Cape Town to attend. And I just said to them, just phone, the, phone this courier company and tell them my bags and crates are packed. I'm going home. Come home. And um, I've applied now to UWC and whatnot and to Stellenbosch University. I shouldn't have said Stellenbosch's name. Yes, sir. Anyway, <laughs> I wanted to keep it as a university ex, but yeah, I am. Um, so, um, <laughs> so what happened was is it was between Stellenbosch University and Rhodes. Because I, I'm between Stellenbosch University and UWC. Because remember, I did not want to go to UWC. Mm. UWC and UCT were two institutions in the Western Cape that I said they must be the total last resort. I don't want to go to them. UCT more than UWC. I just don't like UCT. I'm so sorry. Um, I don't like the institution. Um, oh, that's the beauty of freedom of expression. You see, it just feels so good to say things that you want to say. Um, My man, get all of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened was is... Um, what happened was so I, I get to Stellenbosch and there was a bit of a story there. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't have lists for this. I don't have time for this. I need to get myself in, in institution. I don't have time to fight here. Let me go to UWC. All right, yeah, I'm at UWC. And we all know as much as I love UWC that UWC has the best, best admin in all of South Africa. You know that. And there's no sarcasm. There's no sarcasm in that statement. UWC has the best administration system that you will find in all of South Africa. I think UWC em um, emanates and portrays and depicts South Africa's ac um, 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 situation in terms of admin um, on a very small scale. Um, so well done to them there. Um, so anyway, um, so now I go to UWC and I'm there. Okay. Now I'm like, I need to get into this institution because the Lord knows I don't want to go back to Rhodes University. I've made up my mind. All right. So now I have to get all these, these things like my, um, what is this course descriptions? Because they obviously now need to, 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 to compare courses to see that what I've done will give me credits to get into UWC. So I go to the admin building where they, where they, um, 
where I have to go just do a do a, an, an inquiry and then I get there and the man looks, he pulls up my marks and all my details and he's like, now he pulls up my matric marks. Never mind the marks that I had at Rhodes University, my matric marks he pulls up. And he says, Mr. Van Roy, you have done very well in matric. However, I see you have failed maths. And I'm like, yes, I failed maths. <laughs> so I had in matric, um, and I don't say this in any sense to boast because uh, what is, um, yeah, there's nothing to boast about. So in matric, I had five distinctions and one B, and then I failed mathematics with a 23%. And I'm not even ashamed to say it. I don't like math. I don't just, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, so, um, so yeah, 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 I am. And he's telling me that I think you should redo your maths. I look at that man. I said to him, um, sir, if this is the case, then I'm going back to Rhodes University. I'm not redoing maths in any way to get into this university. I, I don't care if I am so desperate, I'd rather go back to Rhodes University than do maths over. All right, though. So we passed that now, and it's like, okay, cool. Um, go to the arts faculty, because that is the faculty that I'll be a part of. And now the, now the admin journey starts from pillar to post, from A mm. to B, back to A, then to Z, then to E, then to F. Then you, you know the girl, you know, because you all come from this university. So um, it's just a very, very enriching um, um, administration journey that they send you on. It teaches you patience. No, no, it teaches definitely. You patience but, and... but, but, you know, if you don't have that patience, it's all frustration and anger and, and, and everything else is just in that moment. You just also want to just give up. Anyway, so now I go to the, to, the admi- to the arts faculty and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And then they finally call me in. You know, it's very busy at this time. It's January and everybody's trying to get into the institution. So long story short, I don't have um, enough credits to get into UWC because two of my modules, the politics modules did not count because we didn't cover the same content in our politics modules at Rhodes University. So the arts faculty tells me, Mr. Roy, the only thing that you can do now is do your first year over. Again, I said to them, unfortunately, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go back to Rhodes University. Anyway, so I go. So they, they, so that was the first time, after the first time I'd come from the politics department, they confirmed that these credits don't count. The second time, I'm not on my way home. And now I'm like, let me just go back to the politics department. And then I met the wonderful um, Miss Nadia, right? Nadia. Oh, I love the Duman so much. <laughs> right? I mean, she's amazing. Nadia's president. There we go. And I, I come back to the Nadia's second time. President. I tell my mother, I get this conviction that I need to go back to the politics department now because I, like, I just I want to be in Cape Town. So I go back to the politics. I tell my mother, you know what? I'm going to go to the politics department now and I'm going to tell them, even if I must write your exams that your students wrote in 2016, even if I must write those exams now, I'm going to do it. Right though. Go to the politics department. I speak to Nadia. I say, Nadia, look, even if I must write these exams, I'm going to write it, but I, I need these credits now. I want to be here in Cape Town. Nadia says, just give me a minute. Nadia goes and speaks to Prof Pretorius, right? I think she was the HOD at the time or, the, or in charge of the, the course at the time. So Prof Pretorius goes over my marks and she looks at my marks and she looks at the course descriptors and she's, so this is, a, she comes like a whole, a whole dramatic style. She comes out with my forms, <laughs> with her forms in her hand. She comes out and I'm standing at Nadia's desk and she comes with the forms and she says, um, just do well in my class. Welcome to UWC. She's given me the credits, right? <laughs> and now I'm part of the UWC community. Of, of the UWC community. Thank God. Wow. So, Siobhan, having loved English, decided to take English as a module. I, and I was also linguistics. And um, 
Then I had this English model and I discovered that this nonsense, sorry, was not for me. I don't like this literature nonsense. It is just a too much reading. Um, nobody gets A's. I mean, what nonsense is happening here for, for in this English department? I mean, I had one A um, and I, I think that A that I got there was simply because my um, tutor was new there, liked me, and because I told him where different places were around campus. So I think that's the only reason why I got an A. Um, but I've heard of so many stories of people not getting A's, no matter how good the essay sounds. I decided, no, English is not for me. It is actually linguistics that I, that I have a passion for. So I did all the linguistics modules that the linguistics department had to offer in second year, in third year. And then um, in second year, I met my, super, my current supervisor, Dr. Erin Pretorius, and this lady was just amazing. She was doing the only formal linguistics module. So our, our department at UWC focuses a lot on the socio um, prong of linguistics and not very much on the formal linguistics prong. So she was the only one at the time that, that, that grabbed my attention. So in second year, I already identified that this is what I wanted to do. I just, have a, I, I just like this. It's just, it just challenges me, man, because it's very tricky, very analytical. So I really wanted to do this. Um, and no disregard for, no, no disregard at all for the social linguistics problem, because I mean, I was basically raised in it. And um, I speak the language and I am able to communicate with people effectively and to um, argue certain points across very nicely because they've trained me well. But formal linguistics is what I really wanted to do. And then um, before I even got um, accepted for honors, my supervisor let me know that there's a scholarship available for me in linguistics. And I said, okay, I'll be taking this um, because I mean, it's something that I really wanted to do. I mean, you really want to do it, plus you're getting funded to do it. Why not? Why am I not going to do it? Um, the politics department actually invited me to do, link, to do my honors with them and I declined the invitation. And then obviously they were like, who got you into this university? Was it not us <laughs> that got you into this university? <laughs> and I was like, look at these people. Yeah, so pulling me a dirty. Um, but and from that onwards, I just grew very in love. Um, unfortunately for me, the politics department did not have... Um, what the linguistics department had for me. The linguistics department had a sense of family for me, man. They were very warm, very welcoming, and the politics department didn't have that. I had to stand outside of an office. It was too small for me. It was just very, like, it was just not for me, man. Like, I mean... If I can interject, I think it's it's once you get into the door mm. that it really feels like a family. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know, Quinzo can attest to mm. that, that I think once they weed out that you're not just a number. Mm. You quickly find your name yeah. and then it's a place. And then, I don't know, Quinzo, like, I don't know, do I feel the same way? Do you feel Such the same defenders way? of the politics yeah. department. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree. As soon as you, you become a person and not just a number, as Chase said, it's different. You get, they call you by your name. You're not longer just a student next or whatever the case is. You feel more welcome. You know, they share biscuits oh, with nice. you and the rest That's of it you can thing. have. And all those things. So it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where I feel like in your case, because you had a passion for linguistics, even if they said, yes, a million rand, you just mm -hmm. would have said, yeah, right. I'll pass. Plus, so I, think, I must add that pol the politics department had a big food budget. Anything in the in the EMS faculty, what you'll do, you'll do better than the arts faculty in terms of functions. Like I mean, even your your dean's merit list or your dean's your dean's awards. I mean, you'll go all out. 
we don't go out in the arts faculty. Um, I don't think that is important to the arts faculty. I don't know if there's no budget for it or what. And they haven't been saving, but I, I must agree. But it's just that the politics department, I must say, Nadia was very friendly. And what was the other lady's name? Michelle. I really, I really liked her yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest, I mean, at, at, at in the linguistics department, I, I was there. I was new. I was, I mean, I was only my second year that I joined them. And they knew me by my name. And I, I just felt welcomed mm. by not only the, 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 the admin stuff, but I'm talking about the lecturers and just the, I don't know, maybe, maybe the, the field trains its people differently. Maybe politics has a certain demeanor mm. that, it, that, it, that rubs off on, 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 on the, its trainees and in linguistics, a more softer approach. I don't know, you know, politicians and, and political and analysts, they are very arrogant people. Um, so... Um, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. No, I'm really joking. Uh, I can't. I can't blanket everyone. I can't put everyone under a blanket or under umbrella rather. So yeah. So I went to linguistics, and um, I must say I've had many, many opportunities and many, um, um, not only opportunities like in terms of going to conferences, presenting, tutoring, and all those things, but also in terms of of, of growth. I was able to grow not only as a linguist, but also as an individual. Um, and of course, any field that you take seriously, or any discipline that you take seriously would offer those perks to you. Um, and I must admit, it was not the easiest of journeys. It is not the easiest of journeys because people think, ah, you're doing language. Yeah, how many languages do you speak? Um, no, it's not about how many languages mm. do I speak. I don't speak many languages. It is, um, it is very, very challenging, and it is it is a field that I think um, has been overlooked for 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 many, 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 many years. And like I'm doing with cops, I just like to reintroduce things, give it a different perspective, and yeah. Look, man, for me, I it's been fun talking to you. It's been it's been great. If we could keep you on for you know other shows as well. <laughs> Bearing and you know and whatnot, but then <laughs> I want to get into the politics of the podcast. I just want to check with you: like, do you have any dates in terms of your of your movie when that's coming out? Are you, any publications coming soon, or any conferences with your attending Um, so. Just about conferences, I am presenting. I should be presenting with my supervisor at um the University of Pennsylvania or something like that. I'm not sure. It's UPenn. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm doing a, we're doing a virtual mm-hmm. conference. Um, so that's what the linguistics department has to offer, by the way. Um, so yeah, at the University of Pennsylvania. And then, and just so by the way, I presented alongside my supervisor at um, an institution in Belgium not too long ago. And also at, at Stellenbosch <laughs> University, that's the linguistics department again. Um, but be that as it may, I am also, I was invited by um, Athlone's Rotary to come in to be the keynote speaker because apparently at some, at some um, literacy month or month of literacy reading and writing or something like that. So I was invited as a keynote speaker. It's nothing fancy. I just go as myself. There's, there, yeah, it doesn't keynote. I don't know what keynote to what. Um, so, yeah, and the film dates, um, we are currently awaiting our funding applications outcome. And um, once we know the outcome of that and mm-hmm. um, trusting that it will be a positive outcome, um, we would like to start shooting in December yeah. and be done with the entire film by the end of January. 
so that um, we can start screening in um, February, March, and then eventually approach um, our bigger companies um, such as CakeNet and um, Showmax to get the film um, screened there. Have you, um, sorry, just to interject, have you, would you, would you perhaps look at perhaps uh, Netflix or something like that? Because I see there's quite a market, uh, they've quite scooped up quite a few like local um, mm. shows onto their thing. I mean, I saw there was the, like My Octopus Teacher or something. So it's some like filmmaker, Cape Town filmmaker that documents the life of the octopus or something like that. Mm-hmm. I found that quite interesting because it made it straight to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I, I just wanted to get into that. So um, the, you did your thesis and then the, the, the script came from the thesis and then how did you get in touch with the film side? Did somebody say, hey, I like I like what you're writing, or did you go out and look for um, okay. somebody to film it for you? This is what happened. Um, my thesis, as I said, it's still, it's still um, the, the film, in fact, doesn't overlap much with the thesis because I'm doing a very formal, just bear that in mind always, the formal side. So okay. the, yep. the film would be more of a socio side of, of, of linguistics, um, if anything. Um, so I, I had this idea of what I wanted to do because I was doing it in, in Manenberg and people were like, how can you go to Manenberg? It's dangerous. And I just like, you know what? I'm going to Manenberg. I want to be there. I want to go. It's my people. I don't care what you're saying. I'm going to Manenberg. So initially, I would have just done a normal documentary about the people who live there, the language they speak. And then past two, one morning, I couldn't sleep. And this idea came to me. And I was like, write the script. And I I, I had the software on my laptop that I purchased um, about, yeah, I think, two years ago in 2018 because I was busy writing a book that I'm still actually busy with. It's been on hold for quite some time. So anyway, and on the software, they had also um, they had um, an option for script writing or screenplay writing, mm. a format vibe. And I was like, ah, interesting. So I woke up 2 o'clock in the morning, and um, I have a whiteboard. If my virtual background was gone, you would have seen this whiteboard behind me. And I woke up that stood up. Oh, you're not in town? No, 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 I'm not in town. I'm actually in the comfort of my little, little posse. Um, so, um, <laughs> so I have this whiteboard behind me, a, a whiteboard which I, which I write on. So I came to that board. I stood in front of that board. I, like, I first thought I was busy on my phone and I was writing these ideas because many things and everything I think that, that we find ourselves using today stems from an idea. So I took the the initiative to write the screenplay. And once I've written it, I just felt this joy inside of me, like not knowing anything about the film industry, not being a part of the film industry. I decided I'm now going to look for um, producers who might be interested in the in the film. I approached two of them only. And the one told me um, she was busy. She's fully booked for two years. And then I came across um, the current producer. Um, and yeah, and he was all for it. He was in it. And yeah, so we've we've taken a step. Did you just yeah? Did you just DM him and then it came through? Or yeah, was it like, I've, I've been I've been following on Facebook because one of my goals have always been. So I've had this thing where I said, um, I always wanted to act in at least one series or one scene of a film. <laughs> like I just wanted that, you know. So um, that was yeah. always a thing of mine. So I don't know if that is if if that is what motivated the the the, the writing of the of the play. Um, of the screenplay, but I, I I don't think it is that because I'm not even I don't even want to act in this thing now anymore. I just want the story to be told. That's what's important to me. So I, I had him on Facebook as a friend, and I 
got a hold of him. I emailed him first and he didn't get back to me. And then I thought, you know, these producers can be full of nonsense, as the internet told me. So he's probably thinking, mm-hmm. what crap has this light here at Tunia now? It's not an interesting, it's not film quality, so I'm not going to reply. And then I messaged him on Facebook one day and he's like, oh man, I didn't check my emails or something. Like that. Please re-email it to me. And I re-emailed it to him and he got back to me and he said, he's in. And from there, our relation, my relationship for the film journey started. And it's been already, I've learned so much in a very short period of time. And here we are, busy with the film, Erens and Itukums, somewhere in the future is the English word. And it just speaks about, the title of the film actually speaks about um, that there is hope, you know. There is hope. We don't know where it is. We don't know where the solutions are. We're in the future, but it's somewhere in the future where we will find um, a solutions or the hope that we are looking for. But there is hope. That's what is important to know. Excellent, man. Excellent. Quinzo? Uh, Man, as I said, you're making me doubt my life right now. You know, making me rethink my research. Should probably buy yeah. a whiteboard as well. Probably, but I then think you should probably change the equipment. I'll pass. Thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> but anyway, man, on a more serious note, I think you're doing some great work. It was fun having you around. You are. You've told me that I need to own a whiteboard as well, and DM people if necessary. And not just be formal and stick yeah. to emails. So, yeah. Chase, what's on your I, mind, man? I, I, I like it, and I feel like we could talk forever. I, I like what we're doing, but also I feel like we need to have Siobhan on some other time because I could be here for another two hours chatting. Like, the juices <laughs> are flowing, man. Uh, yeah. Exactly. I just, exactly. Wanted, uh, inspiring I just wanted to say, Quinza, did you, no, no, did, you no. did you realize that um, not all white things are bad anymore? So I think you should get you a whiteboard um, and start using it. Because not all white things are bad. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Excellent. Um, so, take your notes. Everybody, uh, you just need to give us a line when uh, your your phone's coming out, then we can put it on our social media. Like, it's been really great chatting to you. Um, if people want to keep up to date with your progress and stuff like that, um, they just need to check out your site. That's yeah. correct. Cops of Student, yeah. if I'm not it's correct. It's www.copsofstudent.co.za. And that's K. Please just spell that. People will okay. be able to, you know. So it's www.kaapsestudent.co.za. Excellent. Thank you very much. Excellent. Um, I'll drop that on our social media so everybody can keep up to date with you. Um, I just want to say thank you for coming on board. Um, It's quite nice picking your brain. Um, It's it's quite an interesting story. It's inspiring. Maybe I need to go buy a whiteboard along with Quenzo. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, you know what? I Particularly, I think Quenza from our background is like it's always been like I don't know it's been my goal to write a book or something and I mean you've written somewhat of a book you've written a script you're producing a film and man you you've got the trifecta there so it's always inspiring seeing, inspiring to see uh, alumni especially Bush alumni yeah, you know. doing so well and I think that yeah. um, particularly if you look at the films that are being put out in South Africa context they always show us as bubbling bubbling idiots or something Uh like that it's it's and then when they do look at a culture it's always like a gross exaggeration and i feel like 
coming from your background, I think the the story and the film that we're about to see will just keep it yeah. to what it is. Yeah. Um, calling a spade a spade. That's right. Because I mean, you could name the movie like I actually saw. I think it was called Blitz Patrolli or something like that. And it's like a colored guy. And they just show him to be a bumbling idiot. He's a police officer and he's always fucking up. And it's just like looks at corruption mm. by like black officials and so forth. <laughs> so like that is the reality in a sense. But also nobody's painting a positive. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure with your film, you paint, you show a good side to South Africa. And I think that needs to be represented in the media as well. So, yeah, I think that's that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing that I want to say is that um, for a long time, or not for a long time, I don't want to sound like some ancient expert or anything of the sort, but I've noticed that people <laughs> these days don't like taking risks anymore. And um, everything mm. that you hear about me is, is, is a result of me taking risks out of faith that it will work out. If it doesn't work out, it's a lesson learned. But I really do want to encourage anyone listening here that whatever your dream or your goal may be that you might have let, um, let be buried under any what, what circumstances that you might be facing. I want to say resurrect that dream, resurrect that goal and take the risks um, necessary to sort of make this goal or this dream a reality because um, I believe that we are able to, to, to do, to do um, great exploits um, because that is what we've been made to do. So I really want to encourage us to take risks and not just survive, man, you know, live life to thrive or, or, or do things in such a way that you would that you would be able to thrive. And um, to the two of you, I also want to say thank you very much for having me on here. I wasn't completely sure about the feel of your of your of your um, podcast. I was like, are these some liberals that are going to come attack me here now or or are they extreme conservatives <laughs> that are ready to just sit with a list and tick off what did he say that was wrong? Or You know, I was just like uncertain, but I must say I felt quite comfortable and I really did enjoy this. It was a good experience. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind us um, chatting again someday. This is not me asking for invitation. I'm not asking for another invitation. I'm just saying I wouldn't mind because I have enjoyed this one. Um, yeah. The politics, no, the politics department enjoyed... is doing something good. <laughs> As always. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Quinza? Yeah, man, I think we can wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No. Uh, we are on every platform there is. So Spotify, Apple, yeah. Anchor. Anchor, Pirate Bay. Whatever public radio, public radio, we are all there. So just Google Questioning Commission, and we'll pop up. Um, yeah, check out Dear South Africa. Mm. There's always bullshit bills being paid, so just check them out. Um, but yeah, yeah I just want to thank Siobhan Quinza for joining us, and you know what? Yeah. Don't catch Corona. <laughs> uh, I think that's all we can end with. <laughs> Thanks, man. Cheers. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, man. Bye.